0: morning we're in proverbs a series entitled timeless wisdom if you're with us this morning and you are uh, without a bible just flag one of these guys coming up the aisles with bibles and um, they've got to give you a bible that's marked to the passage we're studying today if you don't own a bible make that bible a gift to you today Uh, don't be shy or hesitant to take it and make a good friend of it and um, god will really use it in your life Uh, Just a reminder that on Sunday nights we go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, because as the old saying goes, uh, it takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian to reach the whole world. And so uh, we want that for everyone, and that's what we do on Sunday nights. Today, uh, this morning, just look at two verses in Proverbs chapter 3. Very familiar uh, to many, but not to everyone. Uh, Verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding, and all of your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that there is wisdom in this world that is timeless, and it's yours, wisdom that can be tested every which way in life, and never fail us, and always do us uh, good. We pray that you would use our time in your word this morning to deepen our understanding of you, to take us deeper in our relationship and dependence upon you, and also, Lord, that our life might be built a little more completely upon the solid rock that is your word. And we pray and we ask for this work of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. King Solomon continues to instruct his sons concerning timeless wisdom for their own lives here in um, this chapter and really through most of the book of Proverbs. And I think it's a great way to look at the book of Proverbs is to see a father instructing his son or instructing his children in terms of the wisdom that they will need in order to be successful and even to be safe and the nitty-gritty of the fallen world that we live in and we all need God's wisdom in uh, this regard and perhaps uh, you received that in your childhood Uh, parents that were diligent to provide you with a a biblical moral education that would serve you for the rest of your life or perhaps you um, had parents that loved you and they were wonderful in many ways but They didn't really speak into your life much in terms of uh, a a moral education and how to handle uh, anger, how important hard work is and discipline and all of the different things that we find in in the broad array of things that are in the book of Proverbs. And here's a chance to come in through the book of Proverbs and kind of supplement that and to have uh, Solomon and really the Holy Spirit because Uh, uh, as Christians we are God's children to have the Holy Spirit come and speak to us now uh, imparting wisdom into our life that maybe nobody else has done yet. And then so often so many of us, and I think this is increasing, certainly since when I was a young person and a child, so many people being delivered up into adult life without any moral education at all or a very bad moral education and left to go into adult life, learn everything the hard way, and that is a school of hard knocks out there. And, uh, and the wonderful thing about the book of Proverbs, and really the entire Bible, is that nobody needs to, whether as a youth or a child or as an adult, whether we're 16 years old or we're 90 years old, because of these, this book in human history, none of us needs to live a life uh, independent of God's wisdom for how to live this uh, live this life, and think about how wonderful uh, that is. And here Solomon imparts to his children and to us uh, the blessings of a God-directed life. And he imparts to us uh, additionally three things that we can do that are uh, helpful. Uh, on our part, in order to enjoy uh, that kind of a life, a God-directed life. Often when we're studying the Bible and there's a progression, a thought progression through the verses and you really can't understand the conclusion uh, unless you work your way through the thought progression. Then there are other passages in the Bible that you can read through the pro- thought progression and uh, not, uh, not really understand it. Uh, until you get to that conclusion. And so with those passages, this is one of those passages where it's good to look at the conclusion of what Solomon is saying here and then to make sense of what he says previous to that. And that's where we'll begin here today at the end of verse 6 where Solomon makes the promise of a God-directed life and he shall direct your paths. He refers to God And even more specifically to uh, how he is referred to in verse 5, and that is as Lord. And you notice the word Lord there in verse 5 is in all capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital uh, D. And when you see the word Lord in all caps in the Bible, it is the uh, translation of the uh, Hebrew name for God of Yahweh. And then we take and and have adapted it to English with the word uh, Jehovah. God revealed himself as Yahweh to the children of Israel at the time that he met with Moses at the burning bush when he called upon Moses to be his human instrument for the delivering of the children of Israel from their physical bondage in uh, Egypt. And... Uh, all of that is uh, that encounter between Moses and God is found in Exodus chapter 3 and when God called on Moses to be the human instrument of his deliverance uh, of the children of Israel from uh, Egypt Moses you might remember met that call with all kinds of objections he tried to talk God out of having him do that every which way and brought up every inadequacy in his life and every reason he couldn't uh, do that, and why God had chosen the wrong person. And of course, if you've ever tried to do that with God, uh, if you've ever won an argument with God, let me know about that. I don't think anybody ever does, and that's for our best. So God bats away all of Moses' excuses. He doesn't budge at all. He lets Moses know, no, you are exactly... Uh, the instrument I'm needing to deliver them out. It's not about your perfection or your strengths or uh, your anything. I need an instrument that when I deliver the children of Israel out of this bondage, no one will give you the glory, but they will give all of the glory to me, the one who has actually accomplished it. And God still makes his choices today in terms of our lives and what he calls us to do In the same way that when he uses us, it is so astonishing that anything good has come from our life uh, that people look and they go, it must be the Lord. And that's why we will always feel like we're a little bit out of our depth at least or a little bit uh, underwater in terms of our Christian service because apart from the Lord, uh, uh, we are. And so uh, God chose Moses to do this. And then finally Moses, realizing that this argument with God was futile in terms of winning the argument, that's a New Testament truth as well, he conceded to go to to Egypt to speak for God there, but he said, listen, they're going to ask me what your name is, and, and I ought to know what your name is to tell them. Uh, who you are, and what am I to say? And then God declared in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, one of the great verses of revelation concerning God and all of the Bible. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you. And here God revealed himself as I am," he declared here, "that he is uh, self-existent. He is uncreated. He is changeless. He is eternal. He has no beginning and no end. He inhabits the past, the present, and the future all at the same time. He dwells in the realm of of the." Uh, eternal uh and eternal present tense and you just get goosebumps thinking about it at least i do in other words when god told moses i will be with you in that same chapter he was saying moses because this is what i bring to your life Because I am that I am has called you to do what it is that you are being called to do. It doesn't matter what you are or what you aren't, you're going to be successful. And when Solomon speaks here of God directing our paths, he is describing the incredible, uh, indescribable uh, privilege of having our lives directed by God the eternal all-knowing present everywhere uh, all-loving all-powerful God perfect in his love for us us perfect in his compassion for us as his children to direct our lives and I don't think next to God's offer of salvation the forgiveness of our sins uh, through the giving of his son and the invitation to be saved by putting our faith in his savior that any of us are ever going to get a better offer in all of life. Not today, not ever. When God comes to us as his children and, and he says, I will direct your paths. You cannot uh, have any greater offer or any greater opportunity for our lives. I, don't, I, I think that uh, if it would be like if Warren Buffett came to you. And Warren Buffett, uh, head of uh, Berkshire Hathaway, I believe it is, but when he started his company, I think you could buy a share of stock in that company, he's an investor. Uh, something like $26. That's been a a, a couple decades ago, a little longer than that. Now, the last time I checked, and it's been years since I checked, and it's done nothing but go up, a single share of Berkshire Hathaway was $50,000. What if Warren Buffett came to you and said, Listen, you're not very good at managing your money. Let me take it over for you and see what I can do for you. Well, only a dummy wouldn't jump at that. And and Warren Buffett has made mistakes. And God never makes a mistake. And he comes along to us in our lives and even tells us as Christians, you know, you're not really good at running your life. And we're a little tired of being entertained by it up here in heaven because it's so tragic. <laughs> and why don't you hand that over to me and I will direct your paths. I will lead you uh, in life. And as we used to say in terms of an offer like that from God to personally and individually direct our lives, uh, we used to say unreal, and, uh, and it is. In similar terms, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul uh, d- described the, the will of God uh, as being good and acceptable and perfect it is good that is it's good for us it is acceptable that is it's acceptable to God and it is perfect it cannot be improved upon in any way Paul when he writes to the church at Rome in chapter 12 verse 2 and he speaks of this will of God as being good and acceptable and perfect he doesn't declare uh, that uh, concerning that, he doesn't merely uh declare that it is that. He declares that if we will allow God to lead us in that, that will of his that is good and acceptable and perfect, our lives will prove it to be good and acceptable and perfect. To prove it to ourselves. To prove it to anybody that is watching our lives by the superiority of the life that that His wisdom and His direction uh, produces. And so nothing uh, 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 God's purpose and His plan for our lives cannot be improved upon in any way. And so it's no wonder that these two verses. And Proverbs chapter 3 are arguably the most memorized verses in the book of Proverbs by Christians. And among the most memorized verses in all of the Bible. In fact, many Christians claim these two verses as their life verse. A life verse is just very simply where a person has one, two, three maybe verses in their life that speak to them especially. There's a special life given to those in uh, 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 those passages for their life and, and the fact that it is memorized as, as it is uh, and, and uh, turned to so often by those that uh, have, have made it their life verse and others then, uh, that it speaks to the great desire that we have and they have that their lives would be directed by God above all else. But it doesn't have to be a life verse. To have that position. Every serious Christian, uh, whether this is a life versus or not, prizes and longs to have the path of our lives directed by God. After all, what's the, what's the option? To have it be directed by the world or the flesh or the devil? Those are the options. And we all know what kind of a life and what kind of a month or what kind of a night or a day or a life or a decision that produces within our lives. And so the options are not good. Uh, and, and the competition for this and the surrender to God's will is is not a complicated one for a thinking person. And I think that the Historical popularity of this passage speaks to the truth of that. this very thing. Why is it the life verse, why is it so memorized, why is it so treasured by God's people, except that we have lived somewhat deeply under our own direction, or the world's direction, or the devil's direction, and become a casualty of it. And now the will and the direction of God becomes something that is the only thing we want for our lives. And so the, concerning this direction of our past by God, Solomon not only promises it to us but by, on behalf of the Holy Spirit, but then he uh, includes three things that constitute our part in this. Uh, how it is that we can best cooperate with God in directing our paths in life. And the three things that he he adds here that constitute our part in it, we shouldn't look at it as some kind of a a burdensome thing or you say, well, here God promises to direct our paths and, oh, by the way, there's three things that you can do to cooperate in this and you say, oh, I knew there was a catch. But for the person who has lived some portion of their life and it just has to be a weekend, Apart from the wisdom and the direction of God, when we hear Solomon declare by the Spirit of God that these are three ways that we can cooperate with his direction, we are delighted for the instruction. We're delighted for the, the, uh, the revelation. And so Solomon speaks of it uh, in that way. First, he tells us in verse 5 that we're to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord. That is, to trust in the fact that this self-existent, eternal, changeless, existing outside of time, uh, indwelling in past, present, and future all at once existing in the eternal present tense, and, and who loves us like nobody else loves us, loves us more than our mommies love us, or our moms and parents, he's, and, and is 100% for us, whose wisdom for our lives is perfect. So perfect that we can't even begin to understand half the time how perfect. His wisdom uh, uh, is, and we have, I think, but the faintest understanding and the appreciation of sometimes of what's being offered to us in in his wisdom and to be directed by him. And the Apostle Paul knew that, so he fills in some of the blanks related to that in writing to the church in uh, Rome. In Romans chapter 11, verse 33, speaking of the wisdom of God, he said, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him, and it shall not be repaid? For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. And this is the one who has promised that He will deliver on this promise to direct our paths, to direct uh, us in life. The Bible teaches that He is incapable of lying. Not only does God not lie, But the Bible teaches he cannot lie. God, not only does he make promises, but he is incapable of having made the promise of ever breaking that promise in our lives. In Titus chapter 1 verse 2, Paul brings that forward. And it's just to trust in him And cooperating in all of this, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. It's to trust uh, that, as the old pilgrim put it centuries ago, God nothing does nor suffers to be done, but what thou wouldest thyself do, couldst thou see the end of all he does as well as he. There will be a test on that at the end of the sermon here. Well, thankfully, uh, our our good friend now in heaven, Bill McDonald, he kind of uh, restated it in a way that we can understand it better, and he restated it in this way. God answers all my prayers the same way that I would answer them if I had his wisdom, power, and love. And if I only knew how concerned and how active he is for our well-being, for the very best in our lives, we would rest, uh, I think, much more than we do. Of course, so much of our crises of faith and our, our doubting that happens, they have their roots in doubts concerning those three things. We doubt his power. Doubt he's big enough to take care of this. We doubt his wisdom, the ways that he's, he's uh, doing uh, things here. Or we doubt his love. How could God love me and have me in a pickle uh, uh, like this? And so there's the doubts of concerning those things. And we have those doubts. I wish I, I wish I didn't. We have those doubts despite the long history that each of us has as Christians that by the time... Uh, any situation in our life in which he's directing us, by the time the smoke clears in that situation, we begin to see it clearly. We see that what he has been doing here is good and it's acceptable and it's perfect. And that if I had possessed his wisdom and his power and his love, I wouldn't have done anything different than what he did in this situation even as hard as the situation uh, might have have been for our uh, lives. And how often it is for me, I have this long track record. I've walked with the Lord for 43 years. I have never known Him to make a bad decision. I have never known Him not to be utterly faithful to every single promise in his word and yet today or tomorrow i face this new trial this new uh whatever and so often it's like the etch-a-sketch is uh, is erased and i act like i'm facing a problem for the first time in my life without any history with god and uh, uh, despite having this history that we all do that his will is good and it's acceptable And it's perfect, despite thinking that if he really loved us, he really cared about us, or he was really wise, uh, he would do what uh, I want him to do here, and uh, what's clear to me to do in this situation, or if he was really all he's cracked up to be, then he would have never allowed me to be in this situation at all. And again, so often, and sometimes it takes uh, hours, sometimes it takes days, Sometimes it takes weeks, sometimes we don't like to hear it, but it takes years. But sooner or later, the dust of the confusion of the whole situation clears, and then we see it, and we thank Him for disregarding half of our prayers to Him, begging Him to do something different than what He had in mind. And then we look at it, and it's so good, and it's so acceptable, and it's so perfect that we can honestly say to him that I would go through that again if this is the result, um, if this is what was required for this result to occur in my life. Now, why does a a life of God directing our paths require faith on our part? Because at the moment so often in our lives, the path can look anything but wise. Because if you're anything like me, you equate God's will, or the best path for my life, in terms of comfort, in terms of ease, in terms of uh, avoidance of pain, Uh, avoidance of hardship and difficulty. But that's not God's highest priority for our lives because that is not where the richest and the fullest life is found in life. The richest and the fullest life a person can live is a life that is being progressively conformed into the image of Christ, the image of Jesus And thus allowing us to engage life, to engage the situations in life and process them in the same way that he did. Romans 8.28 is a very, very famous verse in the Bible. I'm going to read it to you in just one second here. Uh, It has a Siamese twin attached to it, verse 29. Um, Much less known, but constitutes the context for verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Notice it does not say everything, God does not promise that everything in life is going to be good. I mean, if we know that's not true, He knows it's not true. The promise is not to spare us that. The promise is that He will take all things in our lives and He will work them together for good to those who are the called according, who love God and are the called according to his purpose. And then his definition of good is found in the next verse. For whom, that is us, he that is God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of His Son. That is what He's working on in our lives. Is he works it together for good to conform us into the nature and the character uh, of Jesus. Again, the trust that we are being, uh, that, uh, we are being called here uh, to is the confidence that somehow God is working together for our good and conforming us into the image of Christ, that somehow what He is doing here is He is preparing my character not just for today, Say, Lord, I don't, I don't need to learn this. I'm doing fine. But He knows what's coming next month and next year and 10 years from now. And He knows the godly character that we'll need at that time to survive and to prosper. So He develops it in us now. He works in our lives in order to prepare us one day for the glory of heaven, for one day hearing that well done from the mouth of Jesus uh, directed toward us when we get there. And that kind of trust, trusting that God is wonderfully directing our paths, is required when we're still in the difficulty of the circumstance, when God's appear, uh, His will appears completely confusing to me. It com- appears completely wrong to me. And, and we cannot yet see the amazing thing that he is up to. And examples of this fill the Bible. And uh, 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 we think of Joseph in the Old Testament. Here he is. He is, he is sold into slavery by a rival gang on the other side of town that captured him. No, he was sold into slavery by his brothers and then taken to Egypt where he spends 13 years being prepared from being this young man to ultimately becoming the second most powerful man in the world at that time, the vice-regent of Pharaoh and it wasn't the whole thing of the story is it wow look where god can take you from here and then he can put you in this kind of a place the moral of the story the deepest uh, meaning of the whole thing is not only did he elevate him to that position and he knew he did not know for 13 years until the morning he stood before pharaoh That this is what these 13 years were about. Not just for him to become a powerful man in human history, but because God knew there was a famine that was coming on the land and that God would need him to be in that position so that his father Jacob and his brothers, constituting the 12 tribes of Israel, could survive the famine because God had promised to bring the Messiah into the world through the bloodline of Jacob what God was up to was beyond anything he could have ever thought of we think about David in the same way Samuel pours the oil over his head as he's the overlooked uh, one of uh, many sons and uh, he's a young boy uh, in his teens and he's anointed as the next king of Israel. It'd be ten years before he becomes king of Israel, before that crown is ever put on his head. And there's this ten years of preparation, ten years of the smoke not lifting, ten years of confusion over why in the world is God doing this to me? And he writes about his frustrations and his confusion. He's not perfect. In the book of Psalms, he questions God. Why is this happening? And he's processing with God in in those Psalms, his confusion over the circumstances. But he became the second king of Israel and the greatest king next to Jesus Israel ever knew. And you can go on and talk about Moses and Paul and Peter and all of them. And it takes faith in God's wisdom and his power and his love when we are in these seasons in our lives not to jump ship and to take our life back under our own control and away from the control uh, of God and to begin now to direct my own life. And it takes that faith in his wisdom, his power, and his love to stay in that place. And so because God's Ways can be so much higher than our own in the circumstance, and because His ways are often very confusing for a time, it requires that we trust Him wholeheartedly, With all of our hearts, as he says here, and and, and the perfection of his plan for our lives. And so with a slight kind of adaptation to Bill McDonald's translation, so to speak, of the Pilgrim's uh, Declaration, God directs our paths. Think about it. God directs our paths the same way I would if I had his wisdom and his power and his love. And time will always prove that to be true. Now, second in verse 5, we are instructed, lean not on your own understanding. So clearly, our own understanding represents an extraordinary threat to God directing our paths in our own lives. That great tendency to direct our own paths in life based upon our own understanding of things, based upon our own wisdom, based upon our own knowledge. The key here, when he talks about lean not on your own understanding, the key word is lean, carries the idea of trusting in or depending upon. He's not saying that we stop thinking because we're uh, Christians that we are never to try and figure out or understand the circumstances of our life and what might be the best path forward related to our life and giving consideration to all of that. It means that we're not to depend solely or supremely upon our own understanding and upon our own uh, thinking. It speaks of failing to take God into our thinking and into our decision-making. And so uh, here Solomon tells us, that we're supposed to uh, possess an intellectual humility in life. A very healthy distrust of our ability to see anything in life clearly and then to be able to make a clear and wise decision in that situation. And, and here we're to avoid the idea that we can make, uh, uh, make prayerless decisions in life based upon our own understanding, or worse yet, based upon our emotions, and still have God direct our paths. Once we come under our own understanding of things, and that now begins to direct our path, God is no longer directing our path. And so the strength of the warning here in our lives, this tendency to lean on our own understanding. And this is a very widespread uh, temptation to us is God's people. I think God's giving me a few names here. Um, those. All the way through the Bible, we see this uh, uh, going on, and how readily the most spiritual uh, uh, of, of God's people, we have a tendency to fall for it, and this, it fairly fills the Scriptures, And it's as old as Adam and Eve. You might remember their fall in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, leaning on their own understanding. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took it to prayer and then thought, is this something God has told me to do? No, there, would, there wouldn't be another verse. Uh, there wouldn't be a Genesis 3 7 and no rest of the Bible if she had done that. No, it tells us that it was a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit on the basis of, of her own uh, understanding and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. A absolutely catastrophic decision based upon her own understanding. And ignoring God's commandments, His Word, and, and done without prayer. You might rem- remember Joshua, when he and the children of Israel uh, had been called by God to enter into the promised land, to take possession of that promised land, and uh, they were some distance in, in, uh, in inland in terms of accomplishing that, and some of the other nations or tribes that were in, in the land uh, realized that... Um, sooner or later, we're going to be on the menu. And the Gibeonites were one of those people. So the Gibeonites were some weeks or months away from being uh, conquered by, uh, under God's direction by the children of Israel. And so they said, we have no chance. I mean, greater peoples and militaries than us are falling before them. So they had a group of men put on old clothes, worn out sandals, and then put some food into a basket and then to travel uh, to enter into a treaty with uh, with Joshua and the children of Israel they brought bread that was old and dry and and moldy and they came and they said we've come from such a distance this bread was fresh out of the ovens when we came. Now look at it. You know, we're not in the land. You don't need to worry about us. But we see God's favor on your life and we want, uh, we want to enter into a treaty with you. And then, I love it in the old King James. Joshua, it says, took stock of their victuals. Victuals is food. He made the decision solely upon looking at the food, dried and withered and moldy as it was, and determined that their story was true. And he made a prayerless decision based upon his own understanding and ended up being deceived as a result. Earlier in the conquest of the land of Canaan, following this great victory that Joshua and his and the people the military had over the city of Jericho. The next city that they were coming to was Ai, a smaller city, relatively insignificant. And they decided, let's not send out the whole army uh, to conquer Ai. Let's just send out a part of the army, and uh, it it should uh, should be a snap. And so, Joshua and his military advisors that make the decision. It's another prayerless decision, not acknowledging God in all of their ways. And, uh, and they go and they, they uh, in, endure a humiliating defeat by the people of Ai. And what they did not know and that they could not know in leaning on their own understanding... And their experience was there was sin in the camp that had to be removed before God was going to allow the continued conquest of the land. There is so much we don't know. And so the importance of this. I think about Sarah and Abraham leaning on their own understanding when they attempted to help God fulfill one of his promises to them to provide an heir, a descendant uh, uh, from Abraham. God had in mind Isaac, who was, you know, uh, yet in the future, twinkle in their eyes, so to speak. And uh, they decide they're going to help God out now in fulfilling his promise. And so he takes Sarah's uh, uh, maid as a wife as well, goes into her, Sarah's barren, and produces a son by the name of uh, Ishmael and uh, uh, by Hagar, and the consequences of that self-will uh, lives on to our, in, into our very day. I think about Job's friends, and uh, based upon their own understanding, chapter after chapter after chapter after almost 40 chapters in the book of Job, Job, it's sin in your life. That's why you got all these problems going on in your life. Anybody can see that? And they're leaning on their own understanding. They could not have been further from the truth in their assessment of Job's character and in their understanding of what God was doing in and through Job at that time uh, in uh, history, understanding what was really happening. And this goes on all of the time related to our, our lives. God made clear through Isaiah the prophet why our own understanding is inadequate for a God-directed life. Famously, God spoke through Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. How many of us have learned that? <laughs> my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways, my ways, says the Lord. And he doesn't just leave us there, but he moves to a positive on it. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, the best you can think of, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And then third, we're instructed in verse 6, and all your ways acknowledge Him. And acknowledging Him carries the idea uh, of the acknowledging that God has an understanding and a plan concerning our lives and every situation we find ourselves in and then seeking His knowledge and His understanding. To look and to say, it's not enough for me to say, I don't trust my own understanding or my own knowledge but to look and say, God, I know based upon your character and your word that you have a knowledge and an understanding and a will for me in this situation and that's what I want uh, for my life and to seek his wisdom and his direction. And you notice too that we're to acknowledge God in all your ways all of our ways, not some of our ways, not even most of our ways, but in all of our ways. And it speaks to the fact that God wants this leading and the blessing of his leading in our lives to not just mark the big decisions in our life or the big relationships in our life, but at every single part of our lives and every single decision in our lives, there is nothing uh, that uh, God is saying there is nothing that's too small in our lives to bring to Him in this way and say, Lord, I don't know what to do here. Would you show me? And how do we acknowledge Him in all of our ways? I think there's primarily two ways in which we do so. First, by, we begin by asking, what does the Bible say about this situation? What does the Bible tell me to do in a situation like this. And then I apply the Bible's instruction to that situation and to my life, and I do so knowing that as I obey His Word, His His clear instruction, that He is directing my path. The second great way is through prayer. Taking the situation to God, talking it over with Him, and then asking Him, What is your will here for this? God, would you give me wisdom in this situation? I think I've figured it out about as good as I can figure it out, but I don't want to step out in that. How do you see it? Because the only will that I want to prevail in my life and in this situation is your will. I've seen enough of my will prevailing in my life. And I want your will to prevail here. And prayer is always an expression of our dependence upon God. And it's also the act of the Christian who has a very healthy distrust of our own wisdom and our own self-assessment of our circumstances. And again, finally, in verse 6, we circle back again to the promise, and He shall direct your paths. And And here to consider how is it, are some of the ways that He does direct our paths? As we've seen, He directs our paths through His Word. He directs our paths by virtue of, of prayer and revealing His will to us um, in prayer, an answer uh, to prayer. James chapter 1, verse 5, If if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask about God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. So we ask him for his wisdom in prayer, and then we wait. He promises wisdom. The one thing he doesn't promise is the timing of it. And I think one of the reasons he doesn't do that is because with a guy like me, who's like a type A, if he tells me his will, I assume the timing is right now. So I'll ne- I will almost never wait for the right timing. He's shown me what he wants to do, I'm going to go do it right now. So with guys like me, and maybe some of you are like that, oftentimes he'll wait until the timing is perfect to reveal that, uh, knowing that we're going to move on it. But the fact that he's going to provide us with wisdom, he promises that he will uh, do that. Sometimes he'll use a marvelous converging of circumstances to direct us where we look at this coming together, this thing coming together, and it comes together in such a way that only God could do that. And the Holy Spirit bears witness in our heart, it is the Lord. You remember when the Apostle Peter, along with the other disciples, they went back to fishing after Jesus' resurrection up in the Galilee, and they fished all night. They're fishermen, they caught nothing. Jesus is on the shore, they don't know who he is. And he calls out, did you catch any fish? No, we haven't got any fish. Well, throw the net on the other side. Worst fishing advice in the history of fishing. What difference would that make? They throw the net over and they've got so many fish, they're going to sink the boat. And Peter immediately seeing this converging of circumstances, he said, it's the Lord. And the Holy Spirit will bear witness to us sometimes in that, in that same way. Sometimes he'll use the counsel of a godly Christian, and uh, we'll be—we'll have looked at things. We've prayed, we've assessed, we think the Lord wants to do this, and then somebody will help us to see it in a, a certain way, and immediately we say, "That's it, right there!" It's the Holy Spirit bearing witness to uh, to uh, that. Uh, that direction and that counsel. Sometimes he directs us by his supernatural peace. Colossians 3.15 Let the peace of God rule in your heart or umpire in your heart. So you've got this fork in the road over here. You've got this fork in the road over here. Everything tells you to, in, naturally to go down this fork. Oh, it looks like easy and it looks like it's going to be painless and all of that. And, but you have no peace to go in that direction from the Holy Spirit. He won't let you st- all stirred up. He won't let you have a peace about it. Over here, that would be my second choice. But I have a peace from the Holy Spirit to do it. And it's one of the ways that He speaks to us and directs us. I think also, by, in terms of experiencing God's direction, by running my circumstance through and, and my motives through what I call the wisdom sifter. And the wisdom sifter is found in James chapter 3, verse 14. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, Without partiality and without hypocrisy. So I can take this situation before the Lord, and in my heart, I think I'm supposed to go in a particular uh, direction. And that wisdom sifter stops us and asks us Is this decision being driven in any way by bitterness, by envy? By selfishness. And if it is, back off. Because God does not direct His people by means of those things. And then to take it and ask my, of my motives and my desires and attitude in this situation is, is what I uh, think God wants me to do here pure. So pure, only God could come up with this. Is it peaceable? Is it gentle? Am I willing to yield in this situation or in order to get from here to there I've got to kill 16 people but it's worth it to me or, or run them over in some way? Is it full of mercy and good fruits? Is it without partiality and is it without hypocrisy? And so often as we run it through that wisdom sifter, all of a sudden God's will in the situation can sometimes emerge or at least it it directs us away from making wrong decisions. And so God can use these combinations of these things, lots of other things to lead us in and direct our paths, but His promise is that whatever is required, that as we just cooperate with Him in these three ways, He will direct our paths. And so we have Solomon's wisdom here, God's wisdom about how to enjoy the greatest life a person can Ever live, and that is a life that is directed by God. And what peace it brings into our life, what confidence it brings uh, into our lives, what a blessing. And it's more than just verses in the Bible. It's the truth of what God longs to do in each one of our lives. If you're a Christian here today, and you're in the middle of a great trial, and um, the smoke hasn't begun to lift in your circumstance for you to see clearly what it is that God is doing and you would just like somebody to pray with you and for you today. There'll be, other, there'll be pastors and other men and women up in front immediately after the service and they'd love to pray with you today. If you're not a Christian here today and um, this whole life uh, of being directed by God and the perfection of it, it is all available to you Uh, But what it requires is a relationship with God. And what a relationship with God requires is the forgiveness of your sins. By putting your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of those sins and then entering into this relationship with God that includes you no longer being your own experiment or the experiment of the culture and boy is the culture experimenting in terms of their own wisdom uh, or, or an experiment of the devil, but now to become a project, a, a focus of the Lord and a demonstration of the fact that His wisdom is good and acceptable and perfect. And if you'd like to receive the Lord this morning, come forward to these uh, same men and women and they'd love to answer your questions and pray with you and for you as well. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Father, we stand in awe of You and the greatness of Your love, the greatness of Your compassion for us, that You would be interested enough and loving enough to direct our paths, that that is even an option for any of us in life. Thank You for seeing and understanding what life is in the nitty-gritty of life here and the fallenness of this place and how desperately we need not only to be saved by You, but to be led by You. And thank You that You do that, Lord. As we look back upon our lives, we see over and over and over again the confusion and a circumstance and, and looking like Um, This is not going to turn out well at all. And yet, when the smoke cleared, you did something that was beyond what we could have ever asked or ever thought. Thank you, Lord, for how you have led us thus far. And Lord, we look forward to you continuing it through the remainder of our pilgrimage. And we thank you not only for the promise, but also for the instruction on how to cooperate with you fully in all of this. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.